Uh, turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Colossians. I, um, I spent a ton of time, energy, thought, conversations, thinking about where do we start? Where do you begin a preaching ministry? What do you, what do you say first, right? Uh, where, where do you go? And uh, if you think about kind of famous last words, people talk about famous last words all the time, but there are some famous first words too, aren't there? There are famous lines that start uh, maybe stories or events that you've heard of. Do a quick quiz, see if you guys know of any of these. Um, if, if you're a, a reader or maybe you, you like the movies, you might recognize this one. The opening line says, Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Anybody know where that's from? There we go. I did not know where that was from. I had to ask my wife. But some of you guys do. That's great. Maybe some of the more uh, learned in the room, if I said, call me Ishmael, what are we? What are, Moby Dick. Moby, there you go. Look at you guys. Got some readers in here. For the dudes in the room, men. If I say, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble, like we know something's about to go down, aren't we? We know a boxing match is coming or an MMA fight or something like that. We've moved here from North Carolina, which is kind of NASCAR central. And so, gentlemen, start your engines. That mean, that's a famous first word that people are going are gonna to notice and, and know what's coming next. And, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about, well, what do, we, what do we want to be my first word to you? Where do you begin? And some pastor said, hey, you should make it a vision sermon. Show them where, where you're going to go and the direction you're going to go and kind of where, where you'll lead the church. It's like, okay, that's, that's good advice. Uh, other people said, hey, you need to do a, like a topical series on kind of what it means to have a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? And you should walk them through that. Oh, well, that's good advice. The more I prayed, the more I thought about it, and the more I sought the Lord and, and what he would have us do, uh, it became clear to me that my first words to you should be two things. They should be grounded in the scripture, and they should be centered on Jesus. And so where that led me is to the book of Colossians. You will find out about me as we spend time together that I'm a Bible guy. That's, that's uh, all I have to say to you. I don't have anything clever or unique or fun or creative to say to you. I just have God's Word. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to open God's Word, study God's Word together, and, and see what God has to say to us. And so we're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to be there for a little while. Uh, we're going to walk through the, the book of Colossians verse by verse. We're going to start at 1-1 today, and we're going to go all the way through to the end of the book. It's going to take us about 13 weeks, okay? Everybody okay with that? This is going to be sticker shock. It's going to take us about 13 weeks to get through it, but we will get through it. We'll take a little break in August, give ourselves time to come up for air, and then we'll jump back in and do the second half of the book. But that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start today. I know it's Father's Day. There's not a Father's Day sermon, sorry. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, though. I think that's pretty applicable to most dads. And so we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and so let me dive in. I'm just going to read the text. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get after it, okay? Colossians 1.1, God's word says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our faithful fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Would you help me to build my life upon your word? Would you help our church, to build our ministries upon your word? Would you help each and every one of us 
God, to submit ourselves to your word and obey your word, to love your word and to follow it with everything that we have. And as we dive into your word this morning, would you teach us from your word? Would you encourage us with it? Would you draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians is an interesting book. Colossians is unlike many of the other books the Apostle Paul wrote because Paul never went to Colossae. He never went to the city at all. He just heard that something was happening there from this guy, Epaphras. He heard that Christians had, or people had put their faith in Jesus. They had turned from kind of the pagan religion of the Roman Empire, and they had put their faith in Jesus. But he never visited there. He writes this letter to encourage the church there and to give them some, some counsel on some situations that they were dealing with. Colossae is in the area of Turkey. It's kind of in this same region near Laodicea where all the churches in the book of Revelation. I, uh, Brother John's class right now is studying Revelation in, over in, uh, in one of these classrooms. I was talking to him this morning, and, and, and there's the, the, the book of Revelation opens with these letters to the seven churches in Revelation, and they're all in this little region around Colossae. But Colossae is not mentioned in Revelation, and it's likely because Colossae was destroyed by an earthquake somewhere between this letter being written and the Apostle John writing uh, Revelation. And so it's a Frankly, historically speaking, a relatively insignificant city. It, it didn't have a big history then. It doesn't exist now. You can barely go visit it if you want to. There's, all, there's not even like a historical marker there. It's just kind of ruins out in the middle of Turkey. It it's, it's just doesn't matter a whole lot. And yet here it is, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church that was there that we are reading and studying 2,000 years later. Evidence that Change in the gospel, life changed by the word, lasts forever and has eternal value. And so we're looking to this morning at chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, which is a part of Paul's introduction. He does a really long introduction in this letter. And he walks us through a few things. But the centerpiece of this whole passage that we're looking at this morning is this gospel. This word gospel, he says in verse 5. He calls it of, he says this in halfway through verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And everything that he says in this section flows from this idea of the gospel. And so we're going to look at three points. If you're a note taker, this is where we're going today. Three ideas. Number one, the gospel shared. Number two, the gospel believed. And number three, the gospel lived. And that's where we're going this morning. And so first, the gospel shared. The first thing we've got to understand about this word gospel is that the gospel is a message. It's a message. It's a story that's told. It's, it's something that you speak or say. Verses 7 and 8 says, Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul says, hey, this message, you learned it from somebody. Somebody told it to you. Somebody taught it to you. This guy, Epaphras, he taught you the gospel. It was passed on from him to the people in Colossae, and to the church there, and it was birth, and people put their faith in this message. And we can sometimes get confused by this, right? You hear the word gospel, and, and, and there's, there can be sometimes uh, misunderstandings about what we mean when we say that. Maybe you've heard of gospel music, or you, you're saying, I, th I thought the gospel was, was a book in the Bible or a few books in the Bible. All that's true. But at its core, the gospel is a message. Gospel music is singing the gospel message, right? The, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, they're telling the gospel story. But at the end of the day, the word gospel just means good news. And it's a message. So that stands to beg the question, what is the message of the gospel? And it's very simple. The message of the gospel is this, is that there's a God who created all things. And that God has a law, a standard by which he calls each and every one of us to live. 
And every human who has ever lived, including you, including me, has violated that law. And because the God we serve is a just God, there's punishment for violating that law, right? But God is not only just, he's gracious too, isn't he? And so instead of making us pay for our sins, he sent his son, Jesus, to pay for our sins on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. And Jesus came to the world in the form of a man, and he's the only human to never break God's law. So that means when he goes and he's punished for our sins, it's an unjust punishment. He doesn't deserve it. He instead takes our sins upon himself and pays the price for your sins and for mine. And Jesus dies on that cross, and they put him into a tomb, and they seal it with this big, heavy stone. And in fact, the Bible tells us that, that a Roman guard was placed there to guard the tomb, so it was super secure. But what happened? Three days later, Jesus gets up, he makes his bed, which is very nice of him, folds the sheets up, and he walks out of that grave alive. And he lives and breathes and is alive even to this day. And that's all really good news. But the best part is this, is that what Jesus did on that cross, paying the price for those sins, defeating Satan's sin and death by rising from the dead, all of that can be ours by grace through faith. If we put our faith in Jesus and that what he did on the cross was for us and covered our sins, if we believe that he really is who he says he is and did what he said he did, the Bible says that our sins will be forgiven and we'll be guaranteed eternity in heaven with God. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's, frankly, all I've got to say to you. And we're going to talk about that message over and over and over again as long as you let me stand in this pulpit the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that message is meant to be shared. Epaphras knew that. It was great news to him, so he shared it with the church at Colossae. You don't forget to share good news, do you? There's a lot of dads in the room today. Any dads in here forgetful like me? I'm going to do this a different way. Wives, are there any dads in here that are forgetful? <clears throat> I have a bad habit of uh, forgetting to tell my wife Taylor things that are important. I will sometimes, I'm getting better, but sometimes put things on our family calendar without telling her that I've done that. And there's, uh, there's nothing worse than that look. And she goes, we have to do what? We have to be there when? I didn't know about it. So I'm getting better at this, I think. You can ask her if that's true or not. But dad, we can be forgetful sometimes, right? We can have something that we're supposed to communicate, a message that we're supposed to share, and life can kind of get in the way. We get distracted, we forget about it, and we don't. But let me ask you this. Let's say, hypothetically, you leave church today and you stop by the racetrack gas station down the road and you bought a lottery ticket. I do not recommend doing that for the record. You should not do that. But if you did, let's say you won a million dollars on the way home from church today. Any chance you forget to tell your wife about it? No. No. That'll be the first thing you come in there like Willy Wonka waving that golden ticket. You know, we, we're, we're free. You wouldn't, you wouldn't forget to tell that because it's why? It's fantastic news. And great news is meant to be shared. And so for us as Christians, we get to share that message. God sends you and I to share that good news of the gospel. Every person that you and I know who's a believer have the gospel shared with them. Did you know that? Every person who's a Christian, someone else shared the gospel with them. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, the Apostle Paul in another place with Timothy, he's saying, hey, pass this thing along. 
It shouldn't stop with you. This is some giant cosmic game of telephone, and it's important that it doesn't end with you. Pass it along. I wonder this morning, who was it for you? Who told you the gospel? Who shared the truth of Jesus with you? Was it a pastor at a church? Maybe it was a speaker at a youth camp. If you're lucky, it was your parents at bedside one night to put your faith in Jesus. I'm curious, who was it for you? Think about what might happen if that person hadn't been faithful to share the gospel with you. Think about all that you'd miss out on, all that you'd lose. But because that person was serious about the good news of Jesus, they shared it with you, and you're a Christian. You belong to the family of God, and you're walking with him now. Don't you want that to be your legacy for other people? Dads in the room, don't you want that to be your legacy with your children? There's not a perfect dad in here, right? Every one of us makes mistakes left and right. But we can get one thing right, can't we? We can share the truth of the gospel with our kids and point them to Jesus. And so this message, this good news, is meant to be shared, and it begs the question, is who are we going to share it with? And I'll leave you with that and let the Holy Spirit of God convict you and point you to who it is he would have you share with. The second thing that we see from this message is that the gospel is to be believed. The gospel is to be believed. It has to be believed. It doesn't do any good just to hear the gospel. It has to be internalized. It has to be believed. Once the gospel is shared, we've got to make it our own. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6 of our text this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Listen to this. Since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God, in truth. The apostle saying, hey, listen, this message, it came to you. And in verse four, that's how your faith in Jesus was birthed through the message. The Bible says hearing, our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard it, it says in verse six, and they understood the grace of God in truth. They didn't just hear this message and moved on with their lives. They believed it. They believed it. And for every person, there must be a moment of belief. For some people, maybe you can tell me the exact day and time where you made that choice. Again, it might have been a youth camp, might have been a church service. I don't know when it was for you. Other people are maybe a little more ambiguous on exactly the day and time, but you remember there was a time when I wasn't walking with Jesus, and then there was a time when I was. I made a conscious decision to believe this message, that this was true. For me, it was after experiencing the love of Christ with some friends and hearing the gospel preached in church service that I decided I really do believe that. I want to follow it with my whole life. When was it for you? Maybe you're here today and you can't point to a time when you put your faith in Jesus. You're like, I don't, I don't know that I ever have. I can't think of a time when I did decide to follow him. I want to implore you. I want to beg you. It could be today. You could make today today. You could make it Father's Day, 2023. June the 18th could be the day that you step from death to life, that your sins were paid for and forgiven once and for all, and that your eternity in heaven was secured, all you have to do, the Bible says, is believe. The Bible says if you put your faith in Jesus, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to encourage you, believe. You can do it right now. If you feel the Spirit of God tugging on your heart right now, you can believe. And you can just whisper to the person next to you, just whisper, lean over to him and say, I believe. And they're just doing that small step. The Bible says you belong to the family of God immediately. I'd love for you to come tell me about that when, you, when the service is over, if that's a decision that you want to make. 
But everyone must make that decision, that choice to follow Jesus. But the thing about that moment of decision is it's not the only time that we have to believe the gospel. See, I'm convinced that believing the gospel is an ongoing, regular, repeated thing that we do over and over and over again. We don't have to get saved over and over and over again. That's a one-time event that the Lord does in that moment of decision. But it takes intentionality and focus to continue to believe the gospel. While faith the size of a mustard seed is plenty big to save, it doesn't have to stay that small. It can grow. It can plant deep roots. It can blossom, and our faith can deepen and become richer and more full as we believe these truths over and over and over again over the course of our lives as we walk here with God. As I'm standing here this morning saying, you need to believe the gospel, believe the gospel. There's some of you guys that are tuning out. You're going, ah, he's talking to the unsaved people. Let me sit this point out. I'll catch up with him on point three, right? I'm talking to you too. I'm talking to me. We need to press in. All of us need to believe the gospel anew this morning, today. Excuse me. One of the biggest dangers, I believe this with all my heart, one of the biggest dangers of the Christian life is getting bored with the gospel. When we get bored with the fact that we were dead, but then we were made alive, we're in real trouble. When we get bored with the fact that God and his grace and mercy towards us has promised us an eternity with him in heaven, we're in grave danger. When we get bored with the fact that we can walk with Jesus, interact with him, have a personal relationship with him in this life right now, guys, things have gone off the rails. The gospel is not something that you move on past. It's something that you move deeper into, learn more about, get more involved in. You can think of it like a diamond that has many facets. And from every angle that you look at it and hold it up to the light and compare it, it gets more and more beautiful. It's the richness, the fullness of what has been done for us in Christ should mesmerize us. It should be staggering. This is what the entire book of Colossians is about. It's about us treasuring Jesus seeing him for who he is, Lord of the universe, and that warming our hearts and uh, stirring up our affection for him. In many ways, this is what the Christian life is all about, choosing to believe the gospel more and more each day. And it takes work. It takes intentionality. This is not our default mode, is it, right? We had a storm come through here uh, Wednesday, I think it was, right? Did anybody lose power uh, during that storm? Just just one. Sorry, brother. I know uh, near my parents' home, which we stopped, stopped by on the way uh, here, many, many uh, people in that area did lose, lose power over the, in the Panhandle area. And the worst thing about losing power, I think, besides you know, not having electricity, is after that, having to reset all the clocks in the kitchen. Can I get an amen for that? Like, you just, you go, do the coffee maker. We just set up a, a house where we're living now where I had to set up the coffee maker and the timer. And there's just two buttons, hour and minute, and you just got to push them until you get to the right time. And heaven forbid you push it one too many times. And 23 more times, you got to go around. It's the worst. It's terrible. Because what happens when the power goes out, these devices, these machines, they go back to their default mode, their factory settings, which is not in alignment with the rest of your life. And you've got to go, nope, we're programming it again. We're getting it reset. In a lot of ways, the Christian life is like that. Our default mode is not in alignment with God. It is not in alignment with the gospel and what he calls us to and how he wants us to live. And so each and every day, we've got to go, nope, we're resetting this thing. We're believing again, and we're going to walk with Jesus anew today. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
For those of us who know him, our task is to renew our belief in him daily. And as we do that, the beauty is God begins to change us. God begins to grow us. He begins to mature us. He begins to bear fruit in us. Which brings us to our third point. The gospel must be lived. The gospel must be lived. Here's what happens. When we make it our practice to renew our belief in the gospel day by day by day, we grow and the gospel goes forward. Look back with me at verse 6 one more time. It says this. The gospel, he says in verse 5, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul says this gospel message, it's doing here for your church in Colossae what it's doing wherever it goes. It's bearing fruit and it's growing. It's increasing. It's spreading. This is what the gospel does. Once it takes root, it produces these good things in us, and then it spreads from us to other people. What does he mean by bearing fruit in verse 6? Galatians chapter 5 gives us a little window. You may have learned this in Sunday school as a kid. The fruits of the Spirit, what are they? They're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Apostle Paul says against these things there is no law. These are the good things that come from a life that's surrendered to the gospel. They are the behaviors and the actions and the thoughts and the deeds and the service that we do that comes from us once we put our faith in Jesus. But notice the order of this. The order is very important. These good things, these behaviors, they don't come before salvation. They don't come before belief in the gospel. They come after. They're a product of it. See, our natural state, our default mode, the way we always tend to think about things, is that these things that we will do, these good behaviors, these, the right way of thinking, the, the acts of service, the, the, the stuff that we do that is good in this life, every other religion will tell us that this is what's required of us to be saved. If we do enough good, God will love us. If I can just do enough good deeds, give enough money, go to church enough, be nice enough, stop cursing enough, don't drink so much, quit smoking that stuff, stop watching that stuff, then God will love me. That's what the world tells us. That's what nearly every religion in the world tells us. That's what our natural, human, stupid minds tell us. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says, I don't need any of that. I love you as you are. I don't need you to clean yourself up to come to me. I'm coming to you, Jesus says. I'm going to put on flesh, leave heaven, come to earth, and die for you just the way you are. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to me. I'm going to clean you up. This is what the gospel tells us. It flips the whole thing on its head. The great paradox of the gospel is that the good works that we assume that we need to be saved don't help us one bit. But once we are saved, those good works are the evidence that we are truly saved. Isn't that crazy how the Lord flips that all on its head? It's backwards from the way we think, from the way the world operates, from everything we have likely been told. It's not that good works aren't important. It's not that the things that we do don't matter. It's just that they're not the things that save us. The blood of Christ is what saves us. And so this leads us to some questions. I think about the good things in our life that we do. And the first one is, is this. Why is it that you do the good things that you do. This church I, I've found already to be filled with people who love to serve, who give of themselves, of their time, of their energy, of their money, their resources for good things. I saw it at VBS. 
I saw it, uh, I see it in the Love Jacks, I see it over and over and over again. People giving of their time, energy, and effort to do good things for other people. The question to ask is, why do you do those things? If you're doing those things in order to, to earn God's love, you are wasting your time. You already have all of the love that God can give you. He loves you to the max already. No amount of good work, good deeds will earn God's love. In fact, this is hard to hear, in fact, the Bible teaches us that our good works apart from Jesus are like filthy rags to God. They're disgusting to him. It's presumptuous to think that we in our wickedness and our sinfulness could be good enough to rise to God's level of holiness to where we could hang out and commune with him. Have you ever thought about that? There's no amount of good stuff that you or I could do to get to God's level. So God's going, why, why are you even trying? It's like our kids when they, you know, you ever had your kid, maybe, maybe your dad, you had a kid uh, make breakfast for you today. How'd that go? Total disaster, right? The kitchen's a mess. It's loud. It's nowhere near good. It's like, man, it's a good effort, but next time, can we just go to Denny's? It'll be way better, you know? In many ways, God's like, hey, listen, I see what you're trying to do, but this ain't it. You're not going to rise to the level of goodness, of holiness that you need to reach me by your good works. But the flip side, though, is this. If your good works, the things you're doing, serving at VBS, serving at Love Jacks, volunteering in kids' ministry, uh, doing grief share, divorce care, something like that, if you're serving out of the overflow of your love for the Lord, for what he's done for you on the cross, then the Lord's going, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased in those good works. They, they give him joy. They make him happy with you. They're like a sweet aroma to him. He's thankful for them. And so each of us ought to do a heart check. Are we doing the good things that we do in order to earn God's love, or are we instead doing them because we already have it? The latter is what the gospel teaches us to do. Another question to ask of this, is, again, it's a hard question to ask ourselves, but it's important. If we're here today, and our lives are not bearing fruit. You should, we should ask ourselves, am I bearing fruit? Are there good things coming out of my life? Or do I instead, does my life look just like everybody else's life outside of the church? The Bible would say, hey, if there's no fruit in your life, no spiritual fruit, you should be afraid. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7 that, that you will know a tree by its fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. It's very simple. And so if you have good things flowing out of your life and you're professing faith in Jesus, there's very good odds that you're a Christian, and that's great. But if you don't have good things flowing out of your life, but you say you're a Christian, there's a disconnect there, right? The Bible says that should scare you a little bit. That should make you go, hey, what's out of alignment here? What, why, why is good not flowing out of my heart and my life? The Bible says the prescription is the same as we've been saying all morning, is to go back to the gospel. To put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. Fall in love with him and what he's done for you. Be overwhelmed by the beauty of the message of the cross and then let that uh, stirred affections and heart flow out of you into good works. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. Happy to chat with you. But I'd be remiss if I didn't share that with you this morning, that if your life is out of alignment with the gospel, God wants you to do something about that, to bring those things in alignment. So are you bearing fruit or not? And if you are, what's the purpose of that fruit? Is it to earn God's love or because you already have it? Those questions help us understand what it looks like to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus with our whole lives. I'm going to wrap with a few questions this morning, and then we'll be 
dismissed. First question is this, is who do you need to share the gospel with? We've said the gospel is meant to be shared. The gospel is a message that needs to go forward. We, church, are the carriers of that message. God has entrusted it to us to take it to the world. And he has placed each and every one of us around people who need the message of the gospel. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. They're your family. They're your friends. They're the people you play pickleball with. I've heard that's a thing around here. There are people in your life that need to hear the good news of the gospel, and God has placed you there to share it with them. Who is it? I would encourage you to ask the Spirit to reveal to you who it is that he wants you to share with, and then be obedient to do it. Second question for you. Second question as we think about how to apply this. Do you need to believe the gospel again, or do you need to believe the gospel for the very first time? All of us need to believe the truth of the gospel this morning. If we've been walking with Jesus, then our call is to be renewed in that, to be renewed in our affection for God, our love for God because of what he's done for us on the cross. But if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, your action item is very simple. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. He will save you. He's powerful, strong enough to save, merciful enough to save. There is no amount of sin that's too great for him to overcome. He can and will save you if you cry out to him. That's your application step this morning. Lastly, our third application question is this. What area of your life needs to be brought into alignment with the gospel? Are there areas in your life where you're not bearing fruit or the fruit you're bearing is not good fruit, that you're out of step with the gospel? The Bible tells us to live as to what we have already attained in the book of Philippians. And what Paul means by that is this, is hey, hey, you've already attained heaven. You've already attained salvation. You've already attained perfection. Now let's bring our lives in alignment with that. Is there an area of your life that's out of alignment that you need to repent of, put aside, and walk in step with the Spirit in? Maybe that's your action item for this week. I don't know where you're at, what you're going through. I don't know what the issue is in your life, but I know what the answer is for you and for me, and it's the truth of the gospel. It's what birthed this church in Colossae. It's what birthed this church here in Jacksonville. Jacksonville, and so it's birthed new life in each and every one of us who are followers of Christ. And it can change the world if we will take it to those who need it. Church of the gospel is a message. It's a message that God has entrusted us to share It's the message of God's rescue plan for you and for me to save us from the punishment for our sins. And this rescue plan was sending Jesus to pay the price on our behalf. And if we put our faith in him, we will be saved. Our task is to believe that message, first for salvation, and then every day after that as we walk with the Lord. And so let's go from this place, believing the gospel more and more, so our lives will begin to show the world that what we believe is true. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, would it not just be some throwaway church word that we use all the time that has no meaning, but would instead it be the power of God for salvation in our lives? Would you give us great gratitude for what you did for us on the cross? Would you stir up thankfulness for what you've done for us through Christ? As David prayed, Lord, would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation and renew a steadfast spirit in us if we're off track and out of alignment? And would you help us to go from this place eager to share this good news with any and all who would listen? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.